So I had a chemistry teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Friesen. If you watch The Muppets, he looked like Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, okay? <laughs> totally bald, big glasses. That was Dr. Friesen. And I liked, I liked Dr. Friesen. He was great because he would always say this. These, my children, are the theoretical elements of chemistry. Don't forget them. And then he would teach us, you know, the periodic table of the elements. And he would teach us all this great theory. And then my favorite moment in class was always when he would say, okay, now let's get practical. Because what that normally meant was, we're going to blow some stuff up. Like seriously, like we're going to have, we're going to have stuff exploding in the laboratory. And I used to love that when he would say, let's get practical. Well, over the last couple of weeks, basically for about a month and a week, we have been talking about some of the theoretical aspects of Paul's book to this group of church people called the Colossians, okay? And he basically boiled it down to this simple fact. All of your life as a Christian is supposed to be encompassed in this little tiny phrase, Jesus plus nothing. We don't need to add anything to Jesus. We don't need to take anything away from Jesus. In Jesus, we have everything that we want. That's the theoretical baseline element that everyone needs to know if you're going to be a follower of Christ. So let me just summarize everything we've learned so far. Here are the basics, okay? We learned Jesus is supreme. We learned that Jesus rules over everything and holds everything together. So I actually meant what I prayed tonight. The only reason you're standing and breathing is because of the mercy of God and the supremacy of God in your life. Because he's the one that actually gives you the strength to be able to do that. Okay, then we learn Jesus is enough. We learned that as followers of Christ, we need nothing more because we have all that we need in Jesus. He's all sufficient in every way. And then last weekend on Easter, we learned that Jesus is triumphant. We learned that Jesus won at the cross through the resurrection and that because of his victory, on the cross, and then rising again and defeating death, that we get to share in that victory as well because we're his kids. And then we come back to that little phrase again. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus plus nothing. Now, the reality is this. Anytime that we add anything to Jesus, we usually end up diminishing his supremacy in all things. So it's not Jesus plus your really good resume it's not Jesus plus the American dream. It's not Jesus in a certain diet. It's not Jesus in a certain kind of music. In fact, anything that we add to Jesus usually ends up leading us down a terribly broken path at some level. So we just have cut it all the way back to it. It's a simple little phrase that drives us. Jesus plus nothing. Okay, now let's get practical. Because it's really going to spin. You're going to find the first two chapters of Colossians are about exalting Jesus and getting him in the right spot. And now it's going to drop down here. And we're going to get unbelievably practical over this next little while. And I promise you, we will blow some stuff up along the way. Okay? So the Apostle Paul, I'll remind you again, was a hitman turned pastor. Okay? Amazing story of transformation. He goes on in the book of Colossians and says this. Because we need nothing but Jesus... And then he jumps in with these words, Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. Let me give you some context. Paul's saying, Jesus just set you free, so don't get caught up in religious rules and regulations. Because Christ came to set you free, therefore you have freedom in Christ. So don't let somebody else come and impose their rules on your life. Okay, I live in Linden, all right? Just so, okay, you know where I'm going, right? And when we moved into our very first home there, I made the decision one afternoon to exercise my freedom in Christ and mow my lawn on a Sunday afternoon, okay? 
<laughs> All right? So, my neighbor comes out from his house across the street to talk to me. And he asks me a question. Why are you breaking the Sabbath? To which I respond, with all due respect, Sunday's not my Sabbath. I'm a pastor. I work every Sunday. And I try to work really, really hard. In fact, I put in a full eight-hour day before we even get to one o'clock in the afternoon. So my Sabbath is Friday. That's the day that I devote to God and reflection of God. And I don't work on Friday. I just hang out with my family on Friday. And so I said, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. He said, and left and walked back into his house. Okay, now I got to make sure you get me right here. Okay, all right. The principle of Sabbath and rest are biblical. You should have a Sabbath and you should know how to rest. It's biblical. But I'm saying this to you. Paul is saying over and over again, don't get caught in the letter of the law and completely miss the spirit of it. Don't miss the heart that goes behind it. Now, let's be really, really careful because some of us in the room are already judging my former neighbor, okay? And I've been there too, all right? But the reality is this. We all have rules and regulations in our heads that we assign to people, okay? Whether you want to or not, as a human being, you have a list of shoulds or should nots that you just assign people. Some of you are here, and you're thinking, thou shalt not drive a Ford. You just think that, right? Some of you are like, thou shalt not drink socially. And you've got some verses that you'd attach to that. Some of you would go, thou shalt only listen to Christian music. And you've got verses to back that up. Some of you are here, and when I told my story, you thought, if you're a real Christian, you don't do lawn care on the Lord's day, even though it's both the Lord's lawn, the Lord's mower, the Lord's rain, the Lord's sunshine, and the Lord's guy who's pushing the mower, okay? The reality is we all have rules, and Paul's saying, just, just be very careful about assigning standards that are yours and don't belong to God. Okay, I told you we were going to blow some stuff up, so just put your seatbelt on, here it comes, all right? Paul goes on in verse 17 and says, so, so he starts off by saying, don't get caught up when everybody starts coming in and talking to you about dietary rules and Sabbath stuff. Now remember, he's talking to a primarily Jewish audience who's just come to faith, okay? So that should give us some context. Verse 17, these are, the shadow, these are a shadow of the things that were to come, but the reality, however, is found in Christ. So if you came to the Seder meal, you got a beautiful picture of how this works. We welcome Justin Crone here over the Easter season. Justin is a Messianic Jew, which means culturally he's Jewish, but he knows that Jesus is his Messiah. And Justin shared with us the beauty in the meeting of the Seder meal and the Passover celebration. And as he wrapped it up that evening, as we moved into worship, he made this unbelievably deep point. He said the fulfillment of everything we have done tonight, all of the symbolism, Everything that goes with it, the fulfillment of all of the meaning and all of the symbolism is found in Jesus. In fact, he made this great little line. He goes, the truth is, only Jesus can make something truly kosher. It was awesome. Kosher just means pure. You know what? We get caught in this, but the fulfillment, the fulfillment of Christmas is not in the holiday. It's in the fact that God would humble himself and come in the form of a human child in order to create relationship with us. 
The fullness of Easter is not in the holiday. It's in the fact that Jesus is alive. And just so we're very, very clear, Jesus was not just alive last weekend. He was still alive on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and today too. Amen? That's why we're all here, right? Paul goes on, verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you, okay? Last week, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact there were false teachers in the, book of, or in the church of Colossae who were teaching people that you should worship angels. The Bible actually says the opposite. The Bible says you're not allowed to worship angels. Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten, Ten Commandments. You're not supposed to worship an image that's uh, representing something on earth or something from heaven. In fact, I can tell you this. If there was an angel standing here right now, that angel would say this, God loves you. <laughs> but we worship God, and so should you. Okay? And all angels speak with Scottish accents. We know that, right? That's how it works. Okay? But Paul says, don't get locked in by people who say you're supposed to be worshiping angels or people who are trying to assign a bunch of rules to you. Paul goes on about that kind of person. Verse 18, such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost collection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Paul's talking here about people who have eye disease. Not eye as in I-E-Y-E, but I as in capital I. I had a vision. I heard from God. I have a greater degree of knowledge, so you should follow me, and I'll tell you how you can get to God. I am the intermediary. I have the ability to receive your confession. I have the ability to set you free. Only I can lead you in this direction, because I had a vision, I have a Bible, and I can save your soul for five easy payments of 1995. Okay? It's I, 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 I. If you ever want to know if you have eye disease, just count how many times the word I comes out of your mouth. And if you just thought in your head, I don't think I say very much, that was three in one sentence. And I rest my case. Paul's talking here about what happens when people get all wrapped up in the wrong stuff. When they lose their connection with the God who holds everything together. Paul's talking, what happens with people when we get all focused on the minors and we just disregard the majors? The major so far in the book of Colossians is this, Jesus plus nothing. He is supreme. Paul's talking here about what happens when we mistake the beauty of relationship for the rigidity of religion. And Paul's saying this, look, you got this little church. And there's some false teachers that have come along, and they're very well intended. I think they honestly believe in their head that they're trying to help point you in the direction. But here's the issue, and my hope and prayer is this, that when we hear these cautions, that first of all, we'll be equipped to be able to look around and go, I want to make sure that the teaching that I'm getting is actually biblical. I also hope God will give us the, the benefit. So this is what's been happening to me all week. I've been reading this, getting ready to talk to you, and God keeps hanging a mirror in front of my face. Going, Grant, you're not, you have rules too, man, and you love to assign them to people. I mean, if you didn't come to Good Friday, wow. Wow. And I thought that. 
God comes along and says, we've all got mirrors. And maybe the reflection of what's coming back in that mirror is supposed to be the reflection of Christ, not a reflection of just what somebody else might think and or not know. So Paul's saying with some good intentions, here's what people are focusing on, and he gives us a warning. They're focusing on behavior before belief. Okay, Religious legalists get caught in this one all the time. Let me give you an example. Okay, Every year, Christ the King happens at least once, if not twice. I'll be standing in the commons, and very well-intended people will come up, and they will say this to me. If you've been here before, you've heard me talk about this. They'll say, Pastor, there's people smoking in front of the church. And I think they are shocked when I say, yeah, I know. <laughs> Ain't it great? Like, what? And then I go into my little spiel. I say, look, here's the deal. Everybody has their issue. Theirs is smoking. Apparently yours is judging. Okay? And um, <laughs> just saying. All right? And the reality is this. To Christ the King, we don't believe smoking will keep you out of heaven. In fact, we believe it'll get you there a whole lot quicker if you don't knock it off, okay? All right? But I also add this, just so you know, while I know what it is that you're saying and you're trying to express concern, I get that. I just want you to know we're way more interested in a heart revolution that changes behavior instead of just behavior modification that bypasses the heart altogether. I mean, I think we need to work on your, you need to work on your stuff, and I'm going to work on my stuff, and at some point, God's all going to lead us in the right direction where we have to ask the question, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? I think it's also a good reminder for us that, that you know, not everybody that walks in here is exactly on the same point on the journey. And isn't it cool that we can create an environment that says we, we're going to walk with you on your journey? We're going to deal with our stuff, and you get to deal with your stuff, and that's cool because we're all on a journey. I have to be reminded all the time that I'm, I can't assume where anybody else is at because only God knows exactly where everybody's at. The people who bring that to my attention, they don't usually like my answer because the reality is this. It's messy. You know what's easier? Set of rules. You will not. Tick, 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 tick. And if you don't, get out. But we've got a different philosophy. In fact, uh, I use this line around here a lot. At Christ the King Church, we run towards the messes. Because that's the example that Jesus gave us. And it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright uncomfortable. But how amazing that God would allow us to be a part of that process. Paul goes on and he says this. You've got people and they're going to be focusing on obligation before declaration. Paul's talking about religious people who show up with a stack of rules, Right? And they'll tell you, good Christians do a quiet time, good Christians uh, only like this kind of music, and they have perfect attendance at church. And we go, is that really an understanding of what God has? Is that all there is? Let me put it a different way, because I think this is what Paul would say. So just so you know, it's awesome to have a quiet time. And it's awesome to worship God with music. And I want you to come to church every single week. I really, really do. But Paul says, here's the difference. He says, it's not a have to to get to. Followers of Jesus get to spend time with the God of the universe every day in a friendship that's completely accepting and pushes us to love him more. 
And we get to use music of all different kinds to bring honor and glory to his name. And we get to gather with other people who exchange broken for beautiful and celebrate the fact that the only reason that any of us is here is because of God's mercy. We get all of these beautiful gifts. So we declare that it's not an obligation It's a declaration. We declare that all of the good that God gives us is a get-to instead of a have-to. When you flip that over, it becomes legalistic. No, you have to. And if you don't, we will punish you. That's what legalism says. It's a subtle message that basically says this. Before you can get to God, you need to clean up your act. You need to get it all fixed. And that's the subtle message of legalism that Paul's warning people about. Because, can I just express how it worked in my life when I was so busted? I learned this. You don't need to take a shower in religious rules before you take a bath in God's grace. You don't need to get your act together. If we had to get our act together, we'd all be disqualified. None of us ultimately has our act together. And Paul's just saying, welcome along. Let's walk together in this. Let's understand that it is for freedom that Christ has come to give us. You know, I invited my new mechanic to Easter, and his response was so unbelievably telling. He said, I can't. I'm like, why not? I'm not good enough to come to church. It's a sad commentary. You know where that comes from? It comes from the perception that people have that as soon as they walk through the door, there's a whole bunch of people standing there going, hmm, yeah, I don't know. If you get with the program, you might get a thumbs up. Otherwise, I don't know. Paul's just saying, just be very, very careful of people who add rules to Jesus. My friends, if I could talk to those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a really, really long time, I hope you hear this from my heart and that it, that it comes through clear. Don't let your preferences become your prison. Don't let your standards become your shackle. Allow God's preferences to be your platform and God's standards to be your stability. Maybe I better say that again. Don't let your preference become your prison. Don't let your standard become your shackle. Allow God's preferences to be your platform and God's standard to be your stability. Paul keeps going, verse 20. I love this. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul's just laying out the fact that there's kind of a a traditional approach that we get caught up when we, when we mistakenly take religion for relationship. Okay, here's the traditional approach of religion. It goes like this. Behave. Then believe. And then belong. 
The traditional approach of religion is this. You better behave. And if you behave, that'll be proof that you're ready to believe. And when you believe all that we say, then we will allow you to belong to our little club. Here's what's messed up about that. It's exactly the opposite of the way Jesus did it. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus had a completely different approach. The relational approach of Jesus went like this. Belong, and then believe. And finally, we'll talk about behavior later. I mean, Jesus starts it. If you read through the Gospels, he starts with love and invitation to lepers and blind people and the demon-possessed and the adulterers and the outcasts. I mean, if you just look at the disciples alone... What a crazy group of people to invite to come on this incredible quest. And yet, Jesus' first words to them, come and follow me. You don't need to figure it. Just come and follow me. Walk alongside of me. Come and belong. And then believe that I am who I said I was. Believe that I am Jesus Christ. That I'm the Son of God. That yes, I can walk on water and I can talk to storms and make them be quiet. That I'm exactly who I said it was. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And after you belong and then you believe... Behavior is just going to naturally change because when a person is truly transformed by a relationship with Jesus, I mean, stuff changes. When someone is revolutionized by the God of heaven, all of a sudden, all that old stuff is replaced by love and joy and peace and patience. And I'll tell you something. It's not developed by willpower or self-help. It's developed by the Holy Spirit of God in you wanting to give you that fruit of the Spirit. You know what? People freak out when we talk this way around here. I'm going to get some emails this week. I promise you. I promise you. Because they're going to go like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. People are going to go nuts, man. Like, they're going to go crazy with this. It's too much grace. We need some more rules. We need some fences. We need a little bit of law put in here. You know what I love? I love that in Scripture, out of grace, God also gives us wisdom. So let's make this practical, okay? Paul says, don't get all legalistic. Understand, you've been given freedom. But let's make sure we use the freedom correctly. So let's just say you've got a huge decision in your life. I have no idea what it is. But let me ask the question, what guides you through that decision? My hope and prayer is that the Word of God would guide you through that decision. And Paul talks about that in another book that he wrote to another little struggling church. Paul's talking to another church in a city called Corinth, okay? Let me help you understand Corinth. Corinth was like Vegas, okay? That's how it went. What happened in Corinth did not stay in Corinth any more than what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it follows people home and just gets posted all over Facebook and proves that you're crazy, okay? All right. So Paul is equipping his friends in Corinth on how to make decisions in the gray areas. He's not talking about what is sin and what's not sin. He's talking about when you have a matter of conscience and you're trying to figure out, should I do it or not? And he asks this question, how do I make decisions about how to live? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says people should be able to tell. You should live a life that's different because you are in the world, but you're not of it anymore. Your identity doesn't come from down here. So that should motivate differently. So now remember, Paul's talking here. He's talking about, he's talking about, not talking about sin issues. He's talking about those conscience issues in between. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, he says this, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. 
So here's the question. So you've got a big decision to make. Should I go and do this on a Friday night or should I go and do that? Should I take this job or should I take that job? Is this morally right for me to do or is it morally wrong for me to do? And God says, here's the first question. Is it really permissible? Okay? God said adultery was not permissible. So while you're free in Jesus, you don't get to sleep around for your own good. That's how God protects you. Okay? God said, honor your parents. It was a commandment. So dishonoring them, off the table if you're a follower of Christ. Murder? Nope. Getting drunk? Nope. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Okay? Nope. Is it really, truly permissible? Second question, is it beneficial? Okay? It's completely permissible for me to walk backstage, grab a hammer, and smack myself in the forehead. Okay? There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smack yourself in the head with a ball-peen hammer. It's not there. I've looked for it, okay? But it's not beneficial. Okay, it's permissible, but it's not beneficial. It doesn't benefit you. Well, it might, but um, <laughs> doesn't benefit me, right? This one is so relevant right now. Because the law of Washington State, oh boy, here we go, he's going to get on his soapbox. The law of Washington State says it's permissible, permissible to smoke weed. My question is this, is it beneficial? I would go back a couple of steps and ask a different question. The Bible says that your body is a temple. And God gave it to you to steward. And he wants you to steward it well. And if this is God's temple, it would make sense that you would want to treat it with respect. I would also say this. If you're using that to numb your pain, what you're really saying is, I would rather trust what I can roll between my fingers. I would rather look after my pain with this than with that. The Bible says... I don't ever want you to give control of your life and your heart to anything other than me. So I don't care what the law says. My question is, is it beneficial? I mean, I don't want to make light of this, but I talk to people all the time say, Greg, it's totally beneficial. <laughs> like, you're talking in slow motion. Yeah, but all my friends talk like. Now I'm going to get emails on that one. Yes, I am. Bring it on. Okay? Is it beneficial? Paul asked another question. Is it wise? You have a job opportunity. Is it permissible? Yeah. Is it beneficial? Yeah. Does it help you provide for your family? Or to pay your rent and pay your bills? Great, that's beneficial. Is it wise? I don't know. Let's ask some questions. Have you been trained in that area? Is it going to open up opportunities for you to share about Jesus? Is the work you're going to be doing consistent with God's character? I just walked through this with a guy. He was offered a job at a store. Is it permissible to work at a grocery store? Yes. Is it beneficial to work at a grocery store? Yes, because I want to come and buy groceries from you. Is it wise? Could be. Until he found out that in the back of that store, there was a room that they sold porn out of. And he said, I'm out. Praise God for somebody who still has some standards. 
I mean, in God's eyes, he's looking along. He gets to that juncture, not permissible, not beneficial, not wise. Paul asks another question. Is it selfish? We often leave this one out, right? Will my decision contribute to the health of my spiritual and my natural family, or will it detract? I think about this every time I'm out socially. I don't look around a room and go, I wonder if there's any Christ the King people in this room, because I better change the way I behave if they're here. I don't think that, but it does register into my mind. Everything that I do is either going to point people towards Jesus or away from Jesus, and I get to make the decision which way I'm going to point them. I don't want to get all legalistic and rule-bound about it. It's just, you know what? You guys have become a very good conscience for me. Because I want to go in the right direction. Paul adds another layer in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. We should all underline this one, take it with us. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the ultimate question, and I'll tell you what. If you want to do this in the right order, start with that one and work, then jump back to the front and work your way forward. This is the question. Does it glorify God? Whatever you're going to do, whether it's a job or whether it's a a, a discretionary thing or a conscience, moral issue, whatever it is, is it going to make God proud? Is it going to bring honor to Jesus or disgrace? Is it going to invite others to belong or is it just going to contribute to the hypocritical reputation that pushes so many people away? You know, I found this. If whatever it is you're going to do glorifies God, it usually does not create questions and it usually answers critics. And if you have to do it in secret, you've got your answer. Because if we walk in the light as He is in the light. God says, if, if you're doing something in secret, that's a clue. It's a clue. Let's flip it over and make it good, okay? Some of you are thinking about baptism. Is it permissible? You bet it is. Jesus got baptized. Is it beneficial? Yes, absolutely. It's beneficial for you to go public with your faith in Christ, and it's beneficial for your church family to see that you've gone public in faith for Christ. Is it wise? Yes, because it's obedience. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 82 years since you were four. If you have not been baptized, you need to be obedient, and we will celebrate with you, not judge you. We'll just, have, we'll just throw a little party next weekend and celebrate with the fact that God will be celebrating too. Is it selfish to get baptized? Absolutely not. Nothing selfish about that. Will it glorify God? Without question. My hope and prayer is that as we get ready to flip, because if you read ahead in Colossians 3 and 4, I mean, you want to talk about practical I mean, we're going to cross from preaching to meddling over the next three weeks. I'm going to get up all inside of your your marriage relationships and the way you work. And we're even going to talk about that submit word. I mean, it's going to get just uncomfortable. Um, And you can come back and watch me squirm. It's going to be awesome. But as we get ready to turn into the practical, my prayer is that we're not going to forget everything we've learned in the first two chapters. Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus a numbing chemical that'll just make my pain go away for a couple of hours until I wake up the next morning and he'll show up again. It's not Jesus plus my religious rules because that only allows people to come around me that I'm comfortable with. 
It's not Jesus plus my own personal checklist whereby I feel like a failure every single day because I never quite measure up. Do we have any idea how much freedom there is in Jesus plus nothing? Because the Bible says he came to set you free. Free to make godly choices. Free to honor God in every single thing you do and every word that you say and every thought that you think. Freedom to honor God in your dating relationships and your marriage relationships. Free to honor God in work. Free to honor God at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, in the end of the day, so you can go to bed at night and just lay down your head and say, this was a really good day because God gets all the glory. Jesus plus nothing. You with me? So I hope you take, I hope you take the list. I, I sat down. I got to talk with three young college guys this week. We pulled out the list all, every single time. Is it permissible? Is it beneficial? Is it wise? Is it selfish? Does it glorify God? It's amazing when you walk through that how quickly God gives you an answer. And my prayer is that you'll take the ease of that and go, okay, if I don't have to get all locked up in rules and instead I can thrive in relationship, I'm just going to have a conversation with the God in heaven who inspired Paul to write all of Colossians, and now we can have a conversation through a grid that he actually established for our own good. I hope and pray this has been helpful. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that we didn't have to come to church. We get to come to church. I thank you. I don't have to preach. I get to preach. What an honor it is to open the Word of God and allow it to be a mirror into my own soul. Father, this is going to take some balance and some wisdom. So I pray you protect us from the kind of, of Christian liberty that leads us to license where we think we can do whatever we want to. God, I also pray that you'd protect us so that our liberty doesn't become legalism where we just turn it into a series of checkboxes. Lord, I pray that our freedom would flow freely as we walk each and every day following Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you truly are more than enough. And as Paul has quickened our thinking, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to ask the question. Because Jesus is enough, how shall we then live? And may our lives bring honor and glory to your name because it is in your good name that we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen.